Hi, I'm Jason Wachab, founder and CEO of MindBuddyGreen, the best-selling author of Wealth, and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star review, comment, and share with your friends and family. And don't forget to visit us at MindBuddyGreen.com for your daily dose of wellness. I'm happy to announce that Calm recently became a sponsor of the podcast. Calm is a meditation app with a ton of amazing features to help you relax, including guided meditations, sleep stories, and even a customizable breathwork bubble. If you're a frequent podcast listener or MBG reader, you might already know this, but I meditate twice a day, 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. In the past, I've actually avoided meditation apps because I don't like to be confined to one type of meditation. When I downloaded Calm, it totally changed my perspective on guided meditation. And that's mostly because of the large variety. You can choose between anything from structured programs like seven days of gratitude to a simple meditation timer that you just set while you do your own meditation. Most of the guided meditations are only 10 minutes. You can download the Calm app for free on iTunes or Google Play. If you like it, go to calm.com mbg for a 25% discount on an annual membership, which is just $45. Again, that's com.com slash mbg. My suggestion, start out with the seven days of happiness program. Trust me, your brain will thank you. We are so excited to welcome our newest podcast sponsor, Health IQ. Health IQ is a life insurance agency that uses science and data from apps, race results, and more to secure lower rates for health conscious people. Most of you know that my wife, Colleen, and I live healthy lifestyles. We exercise regularly, even if sometimes that just means walking our daughter, Ellie, around our neighborhood. We meditate and eat clean, mostly plant-based diets. Life insurance companies historically charge more for a family history of health problems or high BMI, so it's nice to know that the opposite also exists, a life insurance agency that rewards health-conscious people like us. Plus, the data is there to back it up. An overall healthy lifestyle is associated with a 57 to 60% lower risk of cardiovascular disease and all-cause mortality. It's hard to argue with that. To see if you qualify, get your free quote today at healthiq.com mbg or mention the promo code mbg when you talk to a Health IQ agent. Hey everybody, I just want to take a quick moment to thank you all for listening to the podcast and to say that we want to listen to you. So if you have any questions, any dream guests, we are all ears. I would love to hear from you. So ask me anything and stay tuned for the answers or your dream guests on this very podcast. Send your questions to podcast at mindbodygreen.com. That's podcast at mindbodygreen.com. And I look forward to hearing from all of you. Thanks so much. And let's go back to the podcast. GT Dave, the founder of GT's Living Foods, is the king of kombucha. Before GT started his company out of his parents' garage almost 20 years ago, there was no kombucha. Fast forward to today, it's a $600 million category, and GT leads the way. There are many pioneers in the natural product space, but GT Dave is truly the leader. He is one of the most inspirational entrepreneurs you will ever meet, and it is an honor to have him on the podcast. GT, welcome. Hello, Jason. It is such an honor to have you here. Thank you for having me. It's great to see you. So you've been at this for a long time. 
I have almost 23 years. Yes. 23 years. So let's, let's go back to 1994 and your mom and let's tell people how this journey began. Yes. Well, uh, 1994 was, a a very important year for me because it's when kombucha, um, I feel, chose me. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, um, you know, I was raised a vegetarian by two very holistic parents who actually raised me vegetarian in the womb. And so throughout my childhood life, I was exposed to so many different kinds of unique foods, health foods, plant-based foods. And kombucha came into the household in 1993, late 1992, as one of these kind of bizarre things that my parents were trying to introduce into the household. And, and so, you know, initially I was kind of put off by kombucha because, let's be honest, it's very different. It looks, tastes, and smells unusual. Um, but it you're, wasn't... You're like 15 at this point, 15, 16? Yes, okay. yes. And so that's the other thing. I was also quite young and, you know, not ready for something uh, so polarizing. So for the course of two years, I watched my parents make and drink and fall in love with kombucha. And, you know, I was intrigued because it seemed like this was something more special than the other stuff that had come in, into the household. But it actually wasn't until my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was kind of forced to pay more attention to it and then start to consume it myself. And then I quickly fell in love with it. And it was how kombucha in my mind helped my mom as well as how it made me feel that the two of those together really inspired me to, to put it out there in the world. As you mentioned, I was very young. I was barely a teenager. And so starting a business was not necessarily in my thought or vocabulary, but it was really how special kombucha was that inspired me to just put it out there. So your mom's going through cancer treatment, and then she's also drinking kombucha, and yes. she's, she's alive and thriving today. Yes. So walk us through that moment. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, what was incredibly shocking was when my mother was first diagnosed, right? Because my mother, very physically active, um, very healthy, very holistic, meditated, did yoga, was a vegetarian, all of that. So when someone like that is diagnosed with cancer of any kind, you are just like, wow, how is this happening? I mean, I'm the opposite of the, the typical candidate mm -hmm. for something like that. So that, of course, shook up the household. And then at insult to injury, the doctors upon diagnosis were just flat out told or said, hey, listen, the tumor is the size of a golf ball. Um, we believe you've had it for four years. It's a very aggressive kind of cancer, and we believe it's already in your bones. And so they basically kind of told mm. her she was a goner. And so that, you know, wiped us all out. I mean, I, I literally thought that I had been diagnosed with cancer because the thought of losing my mom, I couldn't even fathom. So it was that kind of very, very low point then, which turned around after a couple of weeks when they did get the results of the initial test and found out that the cancer was actually precancerous and had not spread un uh, despite what they originally believed. And, and that's when they asked my mom what she was doing differently in her diet. And that's kind of how kombucha came into the picture. So starts to feel better. Start brewing more kombucha. Yes. At what point do you say, hmm, maybe there's... <laughs> Maybe I want to make a lot more of this for a lot for a lot more people. Maybe there's something to this. Yeah. You know, honestly, I remember it really clearly, and it was within the first six months. And first of all, there was this, there was one thing that just felt right to me was being able to personally handcraft something, pour my heart and soul into it, you know, bottle it, deliver it, put it on shelves, and watch people connect with it. Um, that was incredibly rewarding. But what even allowed that feeling to go further is when people then would respond 
to how they felt after drinking the kombucha. And whether that was in person, when I would do samplings where I would give out samples and people would taste it and they, you know, they would kind of furrow their brow, like, what is this? And they would come back and be like, wow, I had a headache and it's now gone. <laughs> or I, my stomach didn't feel well and now it feels better. So it was that kind of positive response that candidly was just completely organic, completely authentic. It wasn't because, you know, I was doing some really brilliant marketing that was really tricking people into thinking this is good. It was they were discovering that on their own. And to me, you know, that's beautiful. I mean, that is very uncommon. And, and once I was able to experience it, I was like, wow, this this feels real and this feels really good. So you're making it, you're bottling it. And I think your first store you were in was Erewhon, the famous Erewhon market yes. in 95. So yes. Do you remember that? I do remember that. So Erewhon um, was the health food store that my parents would take me to. And I just always remember going there every time I went that it was just like this world of, of wellness and um, unique food and all of that. And so naturally, when I first bottled my first bottle of kombucha, I couldn't think of any place to sell it besides Air One. I mean, it just felt very natural. Um, but Air One, because I had been going there so long, it, to me, it felt like this really big store and this very like corporate store almost, because again, I was just a kid. I didn't know better. <laughs> so when I went to approach Air One, I dressed up in a suit and I had a briefcase and like <laughs> I was kombucha in the briefcase. No, I had kombucha in a cooler in one hand. Then I had a briefcase that candidly didn't have anything in it except like a pencil and a calculator because <laughs> I didn't know what else to do. I, you know, I didn't have a sales deck or anything. And like you're that. like 17 at this point. Like how? No, I was. I just turned 16. Yeah. So um, at 16, did you look older? Do you look 16? Or do you look younger? Um, I mean, I like, think who I, is this guy showing up in a briefcase and a tie? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably look like a kid. I mean, I felt that I looked and I thought, you know, I put a suit on, I can look like I'm 30. Um, <laughs> but my dad did come with me, I think for moral support. And I remember approaching the air one buyer and I said, um, I have a product that I want to show you. And he's like, okay, what is it? And I'm like, it's called kombucha. It's a fermented tea. Um, I make the, the best tasting and the most potent kombucha you can find. And, he, and I said, and I'd like to sell it in your store. And he goes, okay. And I said, anything else? And he goes, well, how much? And I said, it's three seventy-five a bottle. And he goes, okay. And I said, um, <laughs> and he goes, when can you deliver? And I said, tomorrow. He goes, all right. And that was it. I never even opened up my briefcase. No free fill. No, no there was uh, none of that. There wasn't like no oh, BOGO. No, no. What's, your, what's your promo calendar? Exactly. Yeah. When, when can you start advertising <laughs> with us or anything like that? It was very natural and, um, you know, just very real. And, and there, then cut to next day, I'm delivering my first shipment and stocking the shelves. And it was that moment, of course, seeing the bottle that I felt like I literally handcrafted in one of my favorite stores, a store that was near and dear to my heart and my family's heart. And that was the moment that made me feel like I was on to something good. So are you demoing there? Are you get people sampling? And yes. What, when, what was that like for you, those first moments when you're doing demos and sampling and people are like, I dig this, I'm going to buy one. You know, demoing was one of my favorite things to do. And the reason for that is I personally crave human interaction. Um, and I love people and I love making something and then sharing it with somebody and seeing how they react to it. And again, because kombucha is so unique and so different, 
It wasn't like I was just, you know, serving flavored water. I was serving something that people had not really, most people had not ever experienced. And so everybody's eyes kind of opened big and they always had a big reaction. And not always was it good, but most of the time, even people who didn't like the flavor could tell that this was something different, something special, something alive. And, you know, again, that was, it was wonderful to really share this offering that I had created with people and see how they resonated with it. And so when in this process, your people are loving it, they're buying it, the product's starting to turn, when do you start to say like, okay, it's time to... Uh, expand? Expand. Well, I mean, after Air One, I went to a couple other local stores. So I went to Co-Opportunity in Santa Monica, and I went to One Life in Venice. And, you know, candidly, I... I There's like no Whole Foods at this point. There was no, no Whole Foods. No in LA. Yeah. No. There actually was a chain of stores called Mrs. Gooch's, which Whole Foods oh, yeah. had later purchased. Yep. So, and beyond, you know, it's kind of ironic. Mrs. Gooch's would not give me the time of day. Um, they, I remember when I asked... Mrs. Gooch, if you're listening. Yeah, Sandy Gooch, if you're out there, <laughs> you were tough. Um, I remember approaching Mrs. Gooch's and they sent me like a 50-page new product submission form oh, and God. asking me questions I honestly didn't know the answers to. So I just kind of faked it, filled it out, submitted it. And I remember getting a little postcard in the mail saying thanks for submitting, but we're not interested. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll have to go to others. So I went to, again, Co-Opportunity and One Life and the very small, authentic, natural food stores. And that was my home. And, you know, I wasn't really worried about growing my business and being everywhere overnight because I candidly kind of ran my company and my products as kind of like an overprotective parent, right? Literally wanted to hand deliver it to these certain stores. And if you grow too fast... You sometimes can't do that. So how are you solving for refrigeration? Do you have like a cooler you're going around to stores? Yes, like yes. I had those igloo coolers <laughs> in my mom's Land Cruiser. I later bought a, a delivery van that also had the coolers in them. But yeah, I would, I mean, I would bottle it every morning, right? And I wouldn't bottle a whole lot because I wanted to just bottle exactly what the store needed. So I was bottling anywhere from 60 to 100 bottles a day. Wow. And then I would just map out my... my so you're doing this at home? Yeah. I was doing it at home for the first two years. Wow. And what was the shelf life back then? Shelf life was short. Um, I mean, I think it was maybe three months. That's, yeah. yeah. Shorter and, than what, it, sorry, it's yeah. shorter than eventually what it became. And then, of course, longer than it is now. Sure. So you're driving around and, and that, that two-year mark, when you say, what, when you're like, okay, it's time to move out of the house. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting is, you know, two times in my life, two main times, tragedy has given birth to hope and a version of, of fearlessness. So what I mean by that is, first of all, my mother, right, diagnosed mm. with breast cancer, was very traumatic. And we, we, me and my family were able to take that negative and turn into a positive with kombucha. Um, two years later, my brother was mm. diagnosed with cancer, and then he passed away. Oh. And naturally, you know, the death of a brother and the death of a child is very traumatic for a family to experience and very hard for two parents to go through. So unfortunately, my parents' marriage didn't last sure. um, throughout that. And so my, my parents split up. And I honestly remember, you know, my parents were fighting and talking about what was going to happen. And there was talks of them selling the house. And, you know, that's where my factory was. So, so you know, this is going to sell the factory. Yeah. I mean, it's going to sound silly, but the first thing that I thought of when I heard my parents saying they're going to sell the house, I was like, you can't, that's what am I going to, where am I going to make my kombucha? So, you know, it, it motivated me to say the least to find another home 
for the kombucha. And so that's when I got my first commercial facility. It was in Gardena, California. It was 2,000 square feet. And um, that's kind of just forced me to grow up in certain ways. And so it was a blessing in disguise. And so from, from that moment, so what, what year are we? We're still 90s, right? Yes. Yeah, wow. you're actually like in the late 90s. Late you're 90s. You're like 97, 98. So walk me through, I, I first discovered your brand, I think in around 2005, 2004, 2005. And, yes. and when I discovered you, you felt like you were everywhere. So what happened in those five or six years when it just felt like, wow, there's this kombucha. I just equated you with, you were kombucha. Right. <laughs> I still view you as you are kombucha. But Thank it was you. like, wow, like this is, this is kombucha. It's GTs and that's it. And yeah. it's everywhere. And I remember seeing walking into a Whole Foods market and the whole, like the whole cold box was just you. Like what happened from that 2000 square foot facility? Like yes. Walk us through that. Yes. So, you know, to put it simply is I grew up and along with me, the brand and the product grew up. And what I mean by that is, you know, when I first started, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just leading from the heart, and which is very important, I believe. Um, but there was a certain sophistication that I was lacking because I was so young and so green. And I think as I grew up and experienced making it out of a commercial facility and dealing with an overhead and dealing with a bunch of different stuff, I slowly became more sophisticated in the way I ran the business. And I also learned that, as I mentioned earlier, that I couldn't be this overprotective parent forever, that I was almost kind of suffocating myself in doing that, and that I needed to find certain methods to protect and maintain the integrity and quality of the product, but not let it, you know, only be available in a very small pocket of the country. Sure. You know, I wanted to to celebrate it and, and make it more accessible to those that wanted it. And so that was kind of the moment, right, where I slightly let go and um, allowed the product to, to grow up and be its own. And I think that, along with some packaging improvements, you mm -hmm. know, I, I learned through my samplings, actually, that when I was giving away samples at these stores that people's reaction would be like, wow, this is a fantastic product. I've seen it on the shelf, but you know what? I thought it was like a Snapple. And Whoa, yeah. what, what not to say to GT. <laughs> yeah, what a slap in the face. <laughs> and you know, that was a very bright light that was now being shined on what I was lacking or what the product was lacking. And so after a series of that kind of feedback, I did a lot of soul searching. I said, you know, why, why is the packaging not communicating the proper message of what's inside the bottle and so I spent about a year and a half designing what we call today our lotus architecture which is the current packaging for the most part which has a very strong kind of eastern mm -hmm. um, visual I think there's a strong messaging there it really communicated and celebrated what kombucha and these types of foods are about and I think once we were able to do that that was our advertising, if you will, that people would see it on the shelf, it would stand out to them, it would speak to them, you get it in their hand. And once you got kombucha in their hands, and of course, in their in their bodies, is when people were, you know, hooked for life. So th there are a lot of things I, I love about you and your brand and, you know, passion, mission driven, you've also done this for 20, talk about like a slow build, but but a very aggressive, fast, slow build. Uh, and you also didn't do what a lot of other brands do in natural product. Like you didn't go to the trade shows, you do word of mouth. Uh, you also created a category 
that didn't exist. Like there was no kombucha. People don't know what kombucha was. And then they, like me, they discover kombucha and it's like, oh, it's GT. Like this, this is kombucha. Oh, there's other. And so around this time you're growing, you're in like in 2000, if we fast forward like 2005, six, like how many, how many doors are you in? So 2005 is actually when we went national. So from call it 1999 to 2004, we were in our, I was in my commercial facility, um, slowly growing production and all of that. And then in 2004, we experienced what we call our uh, capacity constraints. And what that means is <laughs> you can't make enough product. And, you know, that's a, it's an interesting thing to experience for brands because when you're making something good and you start selling out and you start selling out of it faster than you can make it, you're sometimes found that you're being challenged with, hey, how can I make this faster? Hmm. And how can I make more of this? And so some brands, I think, when they start with a beautiful idea and a beautiful offering, end up in that situation because that's one of the reasons why their product's selling so well, right? It's so special. And sometimes in an effort to grow the business, you um, inadvertently compromise, right? Mm-hmm. You dilute it, you cheapen it, you cut corners, you start doing things to make it faster. And so I remember in 2004, that's what I was being told to do. Everybody was saying, why can't I get more on my shelves? You know, you need to figure this out. Why don't you just add more water? And I said, you know what, guys? It sells because it's special. And the, as soon as I eliminate that specialness, it's just going to be another product. And I'm not interested in that, and neither are my consumers. And so it was it was my response to these borderline threats that I was getting. And I had distributors that were saying, if you can't fill our orders, we're going to go somewhere else. And I had to say, fine. I have a, I have a feeling I know who that distributor is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a couple of them out there. <laughs> um, but you know what? We st- I stuck to my guns, and I just made my kombucha the way I wanted to and, you know, struggled with supply for about a year. But that motivated me to find our next home, which would be our next production facility so we could make more product. It took about a year and a half to find and build out. And then in 2005 is when we now had more capacity, more production, and we were able to sell nationwide. And that's when you can find it in New York and other places. And to me, it was a dream come true to have my products available throughout the country. And so you're you're killing it. The brand is growing. You created a category. It's everywhere. And then I think it was around was around 2010, 11, 12. I'm trying to think of when the recall. Yeah, happened. it was 2010. What was that, what was that like? You, you know, uh, it was. <laughs> I mean, I say this, um, and please, it's no disrespect, but I call it kind of our 911. And what I mean by that is, you know, everything's good. Everything's great. You know. We're loving making kombucha. Our consumers are loving it. There's no indication that this was coming. And just overnight, I get this phone call, and it's like, we're concerned. It was a retailer. And they said, we're concerned about the potential for alcohol in kombucha. And I said, all right, have you read the label? (laughs) And I said, you know, we say it on the label that it may contain trace amounts of alcohol, and it is a fermented product. So um, have you been living under a cave or under a rock? And... You know, they said, well, you know, our legal team has now seen this and we think this is a big deal. Um, and so we're going to get back to you on what we're going to do about this. And I said, okay. And so literally a few days passed by and I got the phone call and they said, so um, we've made a decision that we're going to take all the kombucha products, including yours, off the shelf. And I said, you're joking, right? And they said, no, we're not. And I said, wait. 
first of all, this is the best selling product in your store. Um, number one. Number two, we've literally, been, literally, <laughs> no exaggeration there, and they knew it. Number two, it's not like this is a f- overnight success, right? We've been with, we've been in the marketplace for a good ten years now, or more, fifteen years actually, and. you know, this is no reason to have a a, a knee-jerk reaction. Let's understand this. Let's see what the issues are. Let's address it. We can do this, you know, constructively. And they said, yeah, we don't have time for that. And so over the course of the next week or two, um, my products, along with every kombucha product, was taken off the shelf. And it was heartbreaking. Um, So how do you get through that personally? It's just what I do. Like, what was that like for you? Were you sleeping much? Were you? No, I mean, I was, it was, I felt like my life had come to an end. And, you know, the hardest part is, as I mentioned, you know, I see making kombucha and the products that we make as like my children, right? So, you know, you create these things, you pour your heart and soul into them, you, you, you know, in an effort to, for them to be good things and bring good into the world and make people happy and healthy. And then when you're told that what you're doing is wrong, and when you're t- what you're when you're being told that what you're doing is illegal and you know potentially hurting people, you're just like, wait, this this does that can't be. I've been doing this too long, and and I've been doing it from my heart. I'm not doing it because you know it's a trend or or there's trickery. It, and that that reality was really hard for me. And so you know I could have slipped into a depression, um, but you know candidly with with helped me avoid that was the support of wonderful people you being one of them um our consumers That's when we first met online yeah. i interviewed you yeah I remember lindsay lohan got involved yeah. in this whole thing i remember <laughs> <laughs> it was like you're like what's going on yeah it was insane <laughs> it was like lindsay lohan is drinking kombucha is she violating her? yes her scram bracelet went <laughs> yeah. off i mean all of that yeah i was thrown into a tmz situation yeah. but you know again it was the fact that you know, f- f- our fans and our consumers were, when, when the product was no longer available, they would come to us crying and saying, we miss you guys. We want you. We don't care about alcohol. We don't care if we have to go to a liquor store. We don't care if, you know, if we have to drive to other counties to get it. We want it. It helps me. It's been helping me. And when you see and hear that, then you go, okay, we will get through this. And that was the confidence and the strength that I needed because, again, we were off the shelves for three months. Mm. And for a young brand, which we were at the oh, time... It kills a brand. It could it kill you. It can kill you. Absolutely kill you. And, you know, again, thankfully for that, all that support kept us strong, kept us positive, and, and that's why we were able to come back better than ever. So you talk about support and staying positive. Gratitude is... is one of your tenants. It's, you could see it on your packaging. You could see it with you. Let's talk about gratitude and why that's so important to you personally and, and your brand. Yeah. Well, gratitude is important to me because it's a conscious effort to be uh, thankful for the many blessings in your life and our lives. And I think it's, you know, easy, especially as human beings, I think complacency is something that can happen. And, you know, personally, I I try my hardest to never, ever be complacent and to also recognize that the things that I have in my life, the good things I've been blessed with, and I should never take them for granted, you know, little things like just the the air in my lungs and the sunshine on my skin and, and to realize that there are others that don't have it honestly that good. And also to recognize that the success that I've been blessed with is not something that I have single single handedly created, that it's for 
because of people in my life that supported me through the good, through the bad, through the unknown, you know, that took a chance on me. Again, that, that Air One buyer back in 1995 who, Do you, you remember know, the buyer's name? Yeah, Coco. <laughs> She's still there? Well, actually, it's a male. And, you know, he He's left Air One in, like, I think early 2000s. So I don't know where Coco went. Coco, if you're listening, I miss you. <laughs> Call me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so gratitude is that. Gratitude is just reflecting and being conscious and aware of the many blessings in your life and celebrating them and then, you know, taking that and, and turning it into kindness and understanding that, you know, that um, we are blessed and we need to bless others. We need to, to work together for a common goal and a common good. And I think that's important, especially in a brand and in a company environment. You know, I think a lot of times companies can be very transactional. I think we can sometimes focus on the bottom line, quote unquote. And I think when you bring in an emotion of gratitude, an emotion of, hey, you know, we are blessed and we want to bless other, it, others, it keeps you kind of on a, di- it puts you on a different path. And so you work a lot. I do. And you still taste every batch. You're drinking, I, I think you drink like a dozen or so bottles of the product a day. Uh, you're an independent company. It's your, there, there's a lot of work to do, but you're a conscious guy. And how do you find balance? What does that look like to you on a daily basis? How do you find time to take care of you? And um, what do you do? <laughs> well, I mean, I always try to stay very kind of um, spiritually centered. And what I mean by that is, you know, first of all, my parents took me to India when I was a child. And I stayed at an ashram when I was at the tender age of three. And I was exposed to not only that physical environment, but also the philosophy of, you know, this life isn't perhaps all there there is. You know, there's more, you know, we live this single life, but just because we die doesn't mean our lives end, you know, and there's something else out there. And, um, you know, what happens after this life is informed and, and driven by how we live this life. And it's really about living through love, through selflessness, and through making a positive impact. And and therefore, you can't take things too seriously. You can't just, you know, live, a, live for yourself and live through your ego. And, and so that keeps me kind of sane is it, it gives me a slight version of detachment, right? Where I realize that, you know, things can't, aren't that bad, you know, as long as again, as I'm, I'm healthy and I'm vibrant and I'm surrounded by people I love and I'm telling them that I love them, I think that's all that matters. And so it keeps me grounded in that respect. And so, and then also it, I just, I just want to do good as, as cheesy as that sounds. And I think, and I know, and this is applies to even when I first started is, I don't need to be selling millions and millions of bottles to justify my existence. You know, if I just sell one and, and that bottle goes to one person and they love it, then I am fine. And I think that helps kind of keep the aspect of greed at bay, which I think is also something that can erode your soul over sure. time, especially when you achieve a level of success, because I think through success comes a version of narcissism. I think through success comes a, a definitely a version of a big ego. And so those are things that I have to make a conscious effort to keep at bay because they can um, you know, kind of rape your soul. You mentioned narcissism. It's something we talked about earlier before you came on. Wellness has come so far. And it seems as if it's a little bit narcissistic where it's about me, me, me. Oh, yeah, a little. <laughs> <laughs> and 
it's hard to ignore what else is going on in the world and this idea of purpose and planet and equality and connection. And what do you think about that and where wellness is today and where it needs to go? Absolutely. So I agree. I mean, I, I, you know, candidly blame social media for a lot of this kind of narcissism. Um, you know, I, I learned early on a few years ago that um, with the boom of, of social media and digital content and smartphones and cameras and stuff like that, that health and wellness was slowly, slowly becoming kind of like a, a social currency, right, that people use to sure. develop this social wealth. And, um, you know, part of me is, appreciates that because, again, in my mind, I'm thinking, hey, whatever it takes for people to be healthier, sure. you know, I'm fine with it. But then, you know, as you as you pointed out, as we slowly watch it turn into a narcissism, which not, being narcissistic is not a positive, you know, adjective or descriptor, you know, I r- realize that again, you know, we make this as a conscious point within my company and then externally is to remind ourselves that hey, we are healthy not just because it makes us look good and not just because it makes us feel good. It, it's an energy, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's honoring the planet and it's honoring our bodies and it's honoring each other and it's using nature for what it's intended to be is to celebrate and heal and nourish. Um, and so in, in order to, again, to ground ourselves with that, I mean, even us as a company, as a brand, is we're trying to thread more of an emotional um, philosophical quality in everything that we do because we feel that's what really gives us heart and really gives us soul and makes us more than just a product that you know is bought and sold um, it makes us again almost like a, a human person sure. talk to me about energy well energy is everything isn't it I mean um, I you know I was raised by my parents to understand that that the energy that goes into your food could make it healthy and nourishing, or could also make it toxic and unhealthy. And I, you know, I believe that energy around us plays a role in everything. Whether it's again what goes into your food, um, the environment that you live in, the people that you surround yourself with. I mean, it, it really can make or break you. And so, you know, to me, it's like I make again a conscious effort to put out great energy, to surround myself with great energy, and to invite great energy. And I think, you know, again, whether that's making eye contact, smiling with somebody, hugging, being real and authentic and and all of that, I think that attracts the right kind of people. And then together we, you know, we grow. And you avoid those energy vampires. Yes. (laughs) Any, any, any uh, giveaways where you can spot an energy vampire from across the room? Yes, it's usually it's usually it's it's two things: no eye contact and no smiling. Oh, really? They're looking <laughs> yeah. over the side. They're smiling. Oh, yeah, interesting. They're kind of lurching. <laughs> okay, I like that. And so, energy is a, a big role in the brand, and the brand today is GT's Living Foods. That's right. And Newly named. I know. I know. So, where where is GT? Talk to me about the evolution, and you're more than just kombucha. Yes. And where is the brand going? Good question. Um, well, first of all, to know where we're going is important to know where we came from, right? So um, the company up until recently was called Millennium Products, yeah. which uh, is a horrible name. Um, it worked it, for, for a long time. Well, it, it got us through Y2K, which candidly was the, <laughs> the inspiration for the name. And Millennium Products is the name that my, so my mother and father came up with separately when I first got started. But, you know, what happened was is that Recently, I would say over the course of the last 
three years, maybe more. You know, I've had a strong desire to further express myself and express the brand. And yes, you know, kombucha is what brought us to the party, as they say. Um, and it's still very, very important to me. And it's still, you know, near and dear to my still heart. Still your party. Yes, it's still my party. <laughs> um, but, you know, candidly, I think as I started to grow up and grow older, and, you know, as, you know, I'm in my 30s now, and you start to reflect on things, you see people get older, you unfortunately sometimes see people pass away, and you start thinking about your own life, and you start thinking about, you know, again, I'm on my deathbed, what am I happy about? What am I proud of? And, you know, first of all, I, I want to give love and spread love and um, spend time with the people that I love, but I also want to make a strong difference in this world, and, you know, if I am on my deathbed and I, I only made kombucha with my life, that's, you know, not enough. And I'm not saying that I'm being greedy or, or, or anything like that. I just feel like there's more that I have in my heart and more than I have in my mind that I want to share. And so what kombucha is to me is an unadulterated, nature-crafted living food that nourishes and heals, right? And it's one of the few things that you can find in a package that still has its life force, still has its you know living energy, it's still continuing to thrive. And our bodies resonate with that because again, as our tagline says, the living food for living body. You can't have a living body if you're not putting life into it. Mm -hmm. But candidly, kombucha is not the only thing that is like that. And um, you know, there are things that I have been passionate about over the course of many, many years that for personal reasons I want to see available because they're not at all or not in a good way. And I wanted to allow myself the permission to start to explore these types of offerings. And so earlier this year, even though I had been thinking about it for quite some time, I decided to rename the company GT's Living Foods. And although that name is not like the, you know, the most uh, creative of names, it, it's, it's simple. And I appreciate its simplicity. But more important to me, it's very specific. Because I believe that companies like mine and brands like ours, after you achieve a certain level of success, you sometimes can lose your identity. Mm -hmm. You can sometimes lose your path. You can sometimes lose what you stand for and what you stand against. And so, you know, GT's Living Foods essentially is our North Star that says, hey, we stand for living foods. We stand for things that provide life, support life, and make you feel alive. And so that's our guardrails that we're putting up, up upon ourselves. And we're not going to be coming out with yoga mats tomorrow or, you know, something like that. We want to stick to something very specific to, to who we are and what we are about. And through the Living Foods newly named brand name or company, you know, I, we want to start to explore other areas. So last year we launched Coco Kefir, which is a fermented coconut water, um, and as well as Coco Yo, which is a probiotic coconut yogurt. And then um, there's going to be several offerings out of that platform of this kefir um, platform, which kefir, you could argue kombucha is essentially a kefir, which sure. is, it's a fermented drink. It doesn't have to be dairy. Ours is all non-dairy. And then we're going to continue to play in that area. Any new, can you share any, any new products? Yes. Or, yeah. Yeah. Can yeah. You? So later this month and next month, we're going to be um, slowly launching our new sparkling probiotic cider called Alive. Ooh. And um, do you want to know why we're doing a live? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm ready I can for see the a look sample. in your eye. Yeah, yeah I actually should, actually should have brought a sample with me. But um, the reason why we're we're coming out with a live is that you know right now kombucha has become very popular, which we're very grateful for. However, 
like a lot of things in this country, as soon as something becomes popular, you attract the attention of big companies. And those companies a lot of times go, hey, how can we dumb this down? How can we mass produce it? How can we, you know, make it virtually never go bad and have a shelf life of like two years? And so slowly what you're seeing is what I call the bastardization of kombucha. Um, And I've said this before that I feel like I've spent the first 20 years of my career educating and promoting and spreading the awareness of kombucha. And I feel like the next 20 years are going to be like protecting it and trying to make sure that it doesn't become a bastardized version of itself. However, through these light kombucha offerings that you're seeing out there, they, they have attracted the attention of some, you know, early adopters and, and, you know, kind of new consumers where they think and know that they want something healthy. They think and know that they want something that's not loaded with sugar and not loaded with a lot of unnatural stuff, but they're maybe not ready for kombucha, right? So in my mind, if you're going to drink kombucha, it needs to be real kombucha. It needs to look, taste, smell, and feel like kombucha. But if you're not ready for that, and or if you want something else, we want to make sure that that's authentic too. Sure. So what Alive is, it's a combination of these plant adaptogens, which is primarily a trio of um, these medicinal mushrooms, which um, I believe are the next wave of health. You know, I believe medicinal mushrooms almost have like an alien intelligence to understand, you know, what's missing or what's lacking in our bodies, and they can go to that source and, and fix it. Um, so we use reishi, reishi, I should say, uh, chaga and turkey tail, mm. and then we pair it with raw apple cider vinegar, um, probiotics, and a hint of organic maple syrup. Oh, man, when can I sample this? <laughs> GT, come on. It's delicious. And what's great is that it's not as polarizing or as strong as kombucha, Mm -hmm. but it's still very nutritious, very clean, very light, very refreshing. So yeah, so that's our approach right now is we have essentially three offerings. Our Alive is kind of our entry level probiotic drink. Then kombucha is our middle of the road. And then kefir is kind of our therapeutic, very intense offering. So we're, we're hoping we have something for everyone. So you mentioned the future of health. What does that look like to you? Where, where do you think we're going to be in three years, five years, 10 years within food, within wellness? Well, you know, that's a great question. So, you know, what's funny is I'd say 10 years ago, it was like, wow, America's just getting fatter. You know, right now you can definitely, there, you can almost tangibly feel it that people are, are awakening little by little, mm-hmm. whether, you know, you, that recent movie that came out, What the Health?, I mean, there, and, and the, by the way, the message of that movie is nothing new, but it's just now that it's starting to resonate with people. And so to answer your question, I think the next three, five, 10 years is going to be this ongoing journey of understanding how the foods that we are eating are destroying our bodies mm-hmm. and destroying the planet. And we are behind with making it better and fixing it. So there's going to be a strong emphasis on plant-based foods not only because they're healthier for our bodies, but they're also better for the planet. I think people are going to understand more nutrition. I think they're going to understand more about the, this life force that raw foods have, and also these fermented foods, how you know the microbiome essentially drives how we feel, um, our health, our moods, you know, our, 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 our ability to be resilient against disease and things of that nature. There's going to be more science, more energy, and more attention into a holistic way of Mm. eating and living and candidly i don't think it's going to even stop at food i think and i've recently read like even in magazines like time magazine where they're talking about 
the therapeutic benefit of just walking in nature. Sure. Just walking into a forest, breathing that fresh air, listening to the sounds that nature gives you. And they said it's therapy. You know, it's, it, it helps with depression. It helps with all of that. So I think that kind of awareness is going to continue to grow. So being an entrepreneur can often be lonely. There are ups and downs, peaks and valleys. And, and you're a solo entrepreneur and been at this for a while. Who inspires you? And where do you go when you need to get just inspired. get away, get inspired? Or you have that day where you're, I'm sure you have moments where you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. What am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely have those moments. Um, so first of all, I, and again, not to sound cheesy, but I always find my inspiration and my comfort in nature. And to me, nature is the, the most perfect, most beautiful artist. So where I go is I like to go to the island of Kauai, Hawaii, yeah. because there's something about that specific island where it's really nature in its, in its rawest, purest form. So I, I go there many times a year. I actually now have uh, property there, so I'm planning on spending more time there in the near future. But I go there and I just, you know, I go on a long hike. Um, I get into the ocean. I get into a river or a lake or a forest and just observe and watch how n nature is so perfectly imperfect, if that makes sense. Mm. And when you understand that, you see that, again, there's good and bad in everything, but Today will end, and tomorrow will be a new day, and it's a new opportunity to fix whatever wasn't working or turn around something that was not going well. And, you know, it gives me the confidence. And again, going back to gratitude, is it, and I, this was my mantra during 2010, is when there was this moment where I felt that this was it, I thought to myself, you know what, that's fine, because I have had 15 great years of making this product that I love and I feel like it during those 15 years I've touched many many people and if it all comes to an end today I have no complaints yeah. because I've lived a great life and I've been blessed with something that I never expected and everything mm -hmm. has an end you know all good stories come to an end so how do you define success success to me is being your best and so success is more of a journey and less of a destination to me and it's really just making that conscious effort to work harder, improve yourself from a mental, physical, and spiritual level, and just making sure that you're, again, putting good out there. Mm -hmm. That's all that matters because, again, and, and it sounds like I'm a little obsessed with death, but I always put myself like... <laughs> At the age, how old are you now? 37, 30? <laughs> yeah, I'm on, the, I'm on the wrong side of 30, the right side of 40. Um, <laughs> you know, it comes down to when you're on your deathbed, and I've experienced this with others, right? I lost my brother when he was 22. And wow. I've lost other people. And I, I, I recognized early on that there's a common thread throughout all those experiences that when people are on their deathbed, they don't think about how much money they made. They don't think about the great clothes and the great cars and the great houses. They think about the memories and the experiences and most importantly, the loved ones. Hmm. And, you know, sometimes people do have some regret. And usually that regret is I didn't let the person that I love know that I love them as often as, and as much as I wanted. And so that's really my success. My definition of success is really to make sure that, you know, I'm making a conscious effort to be the best that I can be. And, and by being the best that I can be is really just spreading love. So I can share love and give love and spread love. Amen to that. So there are probably a lot of entrepreneurs 
listening who are passionate about wellness, love wellness, it's their life, and, and trying to balance mission and purpose, and at the same time, things like P&L, yeah. <laughs> and capital, and growth, and it seems like you have the secret, <laughs> the special sauce. Like, what, what advice do you give to people who are trying to balance purpose and profit? Because you, you need, you know, purpose is great, but at the same time, it's a business. And it's a delicate balance. Yeah, it really is. I mean, let's be honest. Profit and money is what makes, is what a company lives on. It's the oxygen that a company needs to breathe. And so you can't overlook that. But more importantly, you know, what, what, again, my recommendation or my advice is, is regardless of what you're doing is always lead with your heart and your head. I mean, your head is where common sense and practicality come into play, but the heart is always first and foremost, because you really want to make sure that what you're doing is right and what you're doing feels good and what you're doing is helping others. And, you know, if, if, if you let that be your North star, in my opinion, only good will happen. Mm. Um, also, you have to be patient. And I know that's a very difficult thing to say in this day and age, right? Because uh, I think one of the things that saved me is that I didn't start my company during this kind of digital boom where everything was instantaneous. So I, I was okay with being patient and I was fine with being patient. And I didn't feel the pressure that you feel now. I mean, now, my gosh, I mean, your startups have so much intense pressure and so many high expectations and you know, good, good today, gone tomorrow, all of that. And so I think, you know, entrepreneurs and anybody starting any endeavor just needs to give themselves the opportunity to be patient, but still be aggressive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Still put the proper energy to grow what you're doing, still lead from the heart. Don't be complacent. Um, don't sit back. Don't think that things and don't have ever, ever feelings of self-entitlement. That's the worst. Complacency <laughs> and self-entitlement. Entitlement's like, a tough one with uh, uh, younger younger ones. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. So what's your what's your go-to routine to stay healthy, to stay balanced? Is there something you do daily? Like, you know, you're in great shape. You're, what do you... What do I what, do? Yeah, what do you do? Yeah, so I have my two non-negotiables. And those are, one is I have to work out every day. And the other is I have to get eight hours of sleep. And the reason why that those two things are important is that working out is not just, you know, physically uh, reinvigorating, but it's also important. To me, it's a form of meditation. Mm -hmm. And it's time for myself and it's time to, to honor my body and honor my, you know, vitality and make sure that I'm constantly making an effort to protect and preserve and maintain my physical health right? Because our bodies really are an instrument. And just like any instrument, you have to maintain it and you have to take care of it. And then that cuts, takes me to sleep. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not one of those guys that can function on two hours of sleep or four hours of sleep right. or something like that. I need a good solid eight hours. And I find it very rejuvenating mentally and emotionally and of course, physically. And, you know, that is my guardrail is I will literally clear my calendar for a workout and for my rest. And that's something that my mom raised me with is, is that, again, when you're on a go, 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 it's so easy to forget mm. about yourself. And it's so, for, it's so easy to forget about your body. And you really need rest and exercise are the two great ways to protect that, 
you know, from falling apart. So exercise, do you have a go? You're a gym guy, right? I am a gym guy, so but I do love a good hike. Okay. Um, I do love kickboxing. I do love things of that nature, but I would say more often than not because of my schedule, you know, I don't have the ability to, to go somewhere exotic <laughs> to go on a hike that I would like. Um, so yeah, so I spend most of my time. Do you have a go-to hike in LA? Yeah, well, there's a couple. There's um, Griffith Park. Sure. There's Lake Hollywood. Of course, there's Runyon, um, which everybody knows about. Um, but, you know, that's why I don't do a lot of hikes in L.A. I prefer to do hikes when I go out of town. So sure. Kauai, for instance, or Beautiful. any island or tropical area. I love to go on this long, long hike. I recently went to Jackson Hole and uh, hiked one of the mountains, which was, which was stunning. So, yeah, so that's the, how I stay fit and stay inspired. And so you mentioned sleep. What? What keeps you up at night and what has you excited in the morning? So what keeps me up at night? So I'm, a, of course, a perfectionist. And, you know, there could be 100 things going on. 99 of them could be perfect and fine. And the one is not. And I only think about the one that's not. <laughs> and I obsess about it. And I try to understand, you know, what went wrong and what could have I done differently or whatever. And so that kind of what keeps me up at night is I constantly do a, a kind of a, a look back of the day. Um, not just my personal work, but my interaction with others and things that I said. And did I mean that or could I have said that differently? And also, am I just, it's going to sound silly, is it, am I really um, being my best? Am I living each minute of every day to its fullest with, you know, the productivity that I have in my life as well as the heart and soul that I also want to have in my life? And then I also do this kind of reflection of like, am I still on my path? Mm-hmm. You know, because it's it's really remarkable as I've learned and I've had these moments where something happened during that day. And, you know, later on or hopefully at that time, I catch myself and I go, that wasn't me. That that's that's someone else that that's, you know, the environment or the circumstances that I in are, are pushing me in the direction of becoming someone else. And I want to still be me. I want to still stay on my path. I still want to be, you know. Uh, happy and heartfelt and all of that. So having that moment of reflection every day is really important. What gets me up the next day is, again, the opportunity to live a new day and continue to, you know, go down this path of personal expression and that I feel that I have. And, And again, it sounds so cheesy, but to make the world a better place, especially now, you know, I I must say that maybe like three, four years ago, I, I felt that I was kind of coasting a little bit. And I'm not to say that I was complacent, but I just felt like, you know, everything was just going well. Mm. And and not just in my personal life, but just in the world. And, I, and of course, that's a general statement. But, you know, now more than ever, there's a strong feeling of, wow, we really need to work harder to spread love, spread enlightenment, spread goodness, because there, there are some dark forces out there. And, and you see it, I mean, you know, to reference the tragedy that happened in Vegas the other week. I mean, that's a case in point that there's some crazy stuff going on. And, you know, we need to unite as people with a common goal and a common good, which is really just to spread love and love each other. And so to me, getting up every morning is an opportunity to do that. And it excites me and thrills me. So my last question, if you could go back in time, I usually usually say 20-something self, but since you started the business in your teens, if you could go back to teenage GT when you first started Bottle & Kombucha and and give that teenage GT advice, what would that advice be? Um, That's a good question. I would say that uh, I would probably... um, embrace what I was going through more. I think because, as I said, I was such an overprotective parent, I think I was more fearful 
and, and resistant to success because I equated it with a lot of bad stuff. I think now I would tell that younger GT that as long as you continue to lead with your heart and maintain your values and your integrity, the sky's the limit. And don't be scared of success, monetary or sure. fame or fortune or whatever. And it just keep smiling. An abundance mentality. Yeah. Amen to that. Thank you, GT, so much for being here. You're welcome. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, guys.